What if you could be doing something smarter with your money that creates income now? If you're wanting to get ahead financially and enjoy greater freedom of choice, if you want a comfortable retirement and you know you'll have more choices if you can do more with your money now, if you've wondered who else is creating ways to make their money work for them and you want actionable ideas with honest pros and cons and no fluff, welcome to the Richer Geek Podcast. We're here helping people find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. I'm Mike Stoller, and in this podcast, you'll hear from others who are already doing these things and learn how you can too. Welcome back to another episode of the Richer Geek. Today, we welcome Gil Baumgarten, president of Segment Wealth Management. Gil's a 36 year veteran of the investment industry in 2010. He jumped off the Wall Street brokerage chain to start Segment, a fiduciary firm where the interests of the client and the firm could align. He's a multi-year recipient of the top 1,200 financial advisors in America, distinction by Barron's, and is a newly published author with his first book launching in May titled Foolish, How Investors Get Worked Up and Worked Over by the System. We'll talk about the GameStop short squeeze and an ugly truth. Does Wall Street still have a hidden agenda. All right, welcome back for another episode of the Richer Geek. Today we welcome Gil Baumgarten of Segment Wealth Management. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah, it's uh, we're still under 100 degrees, I think, here in Scottsdale. So I'm happy. Yeah, um, beautiful, humid day here in Houston. <laughs> isn't it always right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, I, I'm excited to bring in. Uh, someone like yourself, because I even have questions. I see a lot of advertisements on TVs of these uh, financial wealth managers, these guys you know, and at different companies. And then once in a while, I see some commercials about fidu- fiduciaries. Yeah. And I think I know what they are. I think I know the difference, but you are the expert. Uh, and in saying that, I should ask you, please uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about uh, segment. So I was in the brokerage business for 25 years and I've been a fee only fiduciary running a consulting type practice for almost the last 11 years. So 36 years of doing this, the last third of that time period, running my business only as a fiduciary. And that's a word that gets thrown around. A lot of people don't know what it means. Um, you know, think about it like um, a lawyer. It, you would not want to hire a lawyer who was charging you a fee and then going out and cutting side deals with the opposition in whatever case it was that you were working on. You would expect that what you were paying him would buy his undivided allegiance to your interests. That's what a fiduciary does. When you pay a fee to somebody like me, my business is built in such a way that legally I am required to look out for only the person who is hiring me and paying me. Contrast that with the brokerage business that doesn't operate that way. Uh, They cut side deals with mutual funds and the like. They're just not in a position to be a full fiduciary. So it's just a different way of operating your business and regulate it differently. 
The brokerage <laughs> business is regulated by FINRA, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and the fiduciary business is regulated by the SEC. So different sets of rules. Now, you know, well, it seems like every four years, Wall Street is one of the topics of discussion, um, whether it's rightly so or not. Uh, so tell us about your personal experience walk, working on Wall Street, whether all those rumors are good, but tell us a little bit about the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. You know, I don't want to caricature Wall Street as this evil demon. Uh, it has some sides of that. And the majority of people that are brokers and in the brokerage business are, are great people that are looking out for their clients. They're just embedded in a system that they don't have full control over. And there's things that go on behind the scenes that keep them in a particular lane of the way they are required to do their business and optimal outcomes for the client are just not a natural byproduct of doing it their way. Mm -hmm. uh, so these are fine people and, and there's a great place for a broker. You know, if you were, um, well, the, the government is currently trying to make the brokerages all adhere to a fiduciary standard as though that's some magical panacea that's not gonna solve all problems. Because if you have a situation where you inherit $100,000 worth of securities from your grandpa, you're not gonna be able to walk in my door and hire me to help you unwind his $100,000 estate. It's too little compensation for too much risk and I'm gonna send you packing. Uh, that being the case, you could walk into a brokerage firm and say, hey, help me with my $100,000. They're gonna provide a flurry of activity for commissions and they're going to get paid and you're going to move on down the road and they don't have any fiduciary responsibility, nor should they. And so making the brokerages all adhere to a fiduciary standard is not the solution to this. Um, yeah, I think trusting somebody to make sure that you get all of your needs accomplished that may not necessarily be best done on a brokerage platform. That's my personal opinion. No. You know, to me, it seems like um, Wall Street is, is kind of like the dealer at a casino. You know, it's like like the house. Yeah. Um, and there, there's so much fine print and there's so much. Thing. It, seem, it seems like the house is always going to win. I mean, you're 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 just going to go through and through and through. And if you really don't know that you give them a hundred thousand dollars and bam, 5% is already gone. I mean, before they even breathe yep. on you. Yeah. And it just, is, is that true? Is that, is that a, well, I, I like to look at it sort of like a maze. So you've seen a maze uh, and the brokerages will, will build a maze and they will allow their brokers to move around inside that maze and find any path that they want to get to the other side but they just won't let you go straight through the maze. You have to be routed through, you have to touch all these various points where the firm is gonna get an opportunity to make money and they may or may not be paying the broker to do that. There are certain parts within the maze that only the firm makes money on. And there are other parts within the maze that they split the business with the broker and the firm, but they're gonna keep the broker in the channels inside of the maze. I like to look at it like I'm kind of building a path right through the middle of the maze and I get paid to have as few touch points 
as possible on the client's money. There's as few middlemen as possible in the way a fiduciary is going to run that business. And you're generally going to have better results, I think. Do they have a hidden agenda? Well, yeah. their agenda is always to make money. Uh, yeah. The system is built to push things out of the maze that are not lucrative. And there's a, the system is in place to push things out of the maze that are risky for the firm. Mm-hmm. So if, it's, if it involves risk for the firm and it doesn't pay them well, you're not going to find it in the maze. Uh, so that doesn't necessarily mean that all the client's goals and objectives are being considered. Uh, yeah. So when they give you a recommendation, it's the best thing for you to do given their agenda, not necessarily given the client's agenda. And that those two are not in total opposition. It's just not perfect. And would you say that that's really the difference between the fiduciary and a broker is Absolutely. they're out, they're out for themselves. Okay. What yep. can, I want to switch you into something. Okay. I get 5% on the front. I get whatever on the back. That's right. And then when that runs out, Hey, they'll, they'll call you up. And say, I think, I think it's best for you if you switch to this because they just found out they get another point or something like that. You, you make yeah. an interesting <laughs> point. You make an interesting point that yeah. calling you up is part of the protocol. So because the brokerages operate in a system of suitability, they don't have to recommend the best thing for you. They only have to recommend things that are suitable for you. And what Mm -hmm. comes with that is that the client has to acknowledge yes or no over the phone, Mm -hmm. verbally binding as to whether that's okay with them for you to move forward. When the client says yes, the client owns 100% of what happens from that point going forward. Zero returns, zero pushback. Once the client says yes, you own it, baby. <laughs> it is designed that way on purpose. That's the reason why I don't call clients up and say, it, would it be okay with you if I did this or that? We only do that out of courtesy. We don't get paid for those transactions. <laughs> if I, If I'm want to do something for a client that might create a taxable event for them, I normally will call the client and discuss that taxable event and give them some say in the matter. But our business is fully discretionary. We can buy and sell whatever we want. And it is that way because we are required not to front run the clients, not to be cutting side deals with other providers. I can't do any of the shenanigans that the brokerage industry survives on. And therefore the path to to delivering that service to the client is a much more pure type of outcome. And, okay. And so the difference, how does fiduciary get paid? You know, I've seen in some of the advertisements, it's based on, the performance? It can or be. How's it? It can be. That's not traditional. Okay. It's traditionally assets under management. How much mm-hmm. money do you place under our care? And the more money it is, the smaller the fee is percentage wise, the dollars go up. Mm-hmm. So we don't charge a $5 million account, the same thing we charge a $25 million account. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, a $25 million account might pay two times the fee of a $5 million account, despite the fact that they've got five times as much money. Uh, so there's a, that's how the, our system is designed. We can also work by the hour. We can work on projects. We can do whatever and bill the client. The interesting distinction that you asked about is that every fee that we charge has to show up on the client statement. Oh, so 
I know Whereas, that's not true for the brokerage. Absolutely, it's not true. So it's embedded in the transaction. Many, mm -hmm. In many cases, you can buy a bond from them. They print what you paid for it, and you have no mm -hmm. idea what they paid and how much less it was that they paid. That's not allowed on my system. Whatever I pay for a bond is the exact same price. It has to go into a client account, and my quarterly fee has to show on the client statement. So I'm not allowed to obfuscate or mm -hmm. hide anything. A lot of people also don't understand that the mutual fund industry and the brokerage industry are kind of in cahoots. They do business together in lots of different ways. The brokerages uh, provide marketing for the mutual funds. The mutual funds uh, run trades across the trading desk of the brokerage firm. There's a 12B1 fee many times where you're sharing the internal expense ratio. There's all kinds of side deals that go on between the, the brokerage and the and the broker and the client. And be, many clients per, perceive that if I can't see a fee, therefore it doesn't exist. And in my business model, yes, that's true. But in the brokerage business model, no, that's not true. So is it with, with the fiduciary, do you have to have a, a certain amount of wealth or monies that you put in before you say, you know what, I need to go from a broker to a fiduciary? That's a good Is question. That yeah, that's a really good question. Um, the fiduciaries tend to run the biggest books of business. Uh, the large client tends to want to hire a fiduciary because the differences are more profound, the more money that's involved. Uh, so a client, back to the example with grandpa's $100,000 estate, you're probably not going to see a whole lot of difference in cost or service between what you're going to get from a brokerage, a broker at a brokerage firm and a fiduciary advisor on $100,000. The fees are going to be relatively similar. You're probably going to see relative, relatively similar types of strategies. Mm -hmm. But um, when the account gets to be $2 million, $5 million, 10 or $20 million, you see fewer and fewer of those on the brokerage platforms, and you see more and more of them on the fiduciary platforms. Um, when I was at my last broker brokerage firm, in two, I left in October of 2010, I had a couple of hundred million dollars of client assets. We have a billion dollars of client money now, and I do business with essentially the same number of people with a billion dollars as I did with a couple of hundred million. So that's part and parcel to running a fiduciary business where we see five, 10, $20 million accounts with some regularity. Okay. Well, you know, that makes a lot of sense because there's a lot more brokers out there. Absolutely. Uh, than you, you see fiduciaries. Um, yeah. So you, you have a, you have a book. I do have a book. It's called uh, Foolish. It's called Foolish. That's right. The subtitle is, uh, how investors get worked up and worked over by the system. Because we've spent the last you know 15 or 20 minutes talking about the brokerage industry. Well, that's only half of the problem that stands between a client and really good results. And the other half of the problem are generally personality problems. Uh, we spend a whole lot more time as investors acting like a, um, like a jackrabbit. And we hop from investment to investment. We really should invest more like a turtle or a sloth where we move super slow. Uh, that's really the much better way to invest your money. But we think we, we're doing ourselves by hopping around a lot. So investors tend to have a lot of mental baggage that causes them to make bad mistakes. 
They don't pay attention to taxes. They don't pay attention to cost because they don't understand it. And they don't understand taxes also. And that's the reason why they just tend to overlook it as though it doesn't matter. Uh, so there's just, it's just not the best way to run your money when you're hopping around hoping to land on something that's gratifying. Well, you know, we're in the fast food business of life, right? You that's know, it's right. instant gratification. That's right. Uh, you know, and something else that I can't stand is you walk into a broker, you walk into the bank and, you know, the young 20 year old kid wants to come over and it seems like, you know, you need, didn't even look at my wealth, didn't even look at me. You need to be in fund 2042. (laughs) That's because he knows the pitch. He knows the pitch. (laughs) I'm like, I'm tired of fund 2042 and then next year will be fund 2041 you know it's well you know you see even more of that where you're being pitched an annuity uh, without understanding anything about your tax situation and uh but that's because annuities generally in the business have the highest commissions and so it doesn't take a rocket scientist as the 20 year old to say you know what (laughs) if i sell a million dollars worth of mutual funds i make ten thousand dollars and if i sell a million dollars worth of annuities i make forty thousand dollars I'm going to sell annuities. That's what they say to themselves. So yeah. uh, when people get pitched annuities, eh, that's quite possibly what's going on. Yeah, I bet so. Yeah, it's like whole life and annuities. It's just those yep. two. That's where um, the juicy commissions are. <laughs> um, so, you know, you mentioned a little bit about tax. Um, and, you know, every four years, it's like we never know, you know, the tax code and, and the SEC, different stuff. And, and yeah. it seems crazy. So is there any changes that you're seeing as far as the SEC regulations? And, I, and I'm always, you know, I'm involved in the SEC because I, I do some syndications and, yep. and things like that. But anything new that we should know about? Well, there's two different questions there. The first was about yeah. the IRS and taxes. And the second would be about SEC and regulation. I think... Um, the SEC recently had some changes with uh, passing Reg BI, which is a uh, sort of a comprehensive uh, attempt to force the brokerages into a best interest standard similar to fiduciary. But the 80 page regulation says right on page five that they stopped short of that because the fiduciary or best interest standard was incompatible with the brokerage business model. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And so any attempt to squeeze the brokers into a fiduciary standard, you're going to run into some resistance. And like I said earlier, rightly so. Mm. Uh, So that being the case, um, they ended up on the side of disclosure. Well, Mm. guess what? The uh, suitability standard that brokerages have had for decades is already one of disclosure. So all the hoopla over Reg BI somehow changing the brokerage industry to become a best interest standard for the client care ended up on the side of disclosure and clients don't read disclosures. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that being the case, it's not not going to happen and nor should it. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's plenty of choices out there to get a fiduciary advisor. You're just not gonna get one at a brokerage firm. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. The second part of your question was regarding the SEC mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and well, excuse me, the IRS and changes to our tax code. Those changes do seem to be gaining momentum. 
uh, you know, tax the rich is a really easy thing to say. It's yeah. difficult for the rich to defend themselves because they're just not that numerous. And when it comes to the voting box, you know, the people who don't have as much money always want the rich to pay more. Never mind that the top 1% already pay nearly 50% of all taxes. It's already stacked on their shoulders. And many people say, well, it should be 75% or it, okay, whatever. It, it's That's just the way of the world. I do believe that the current onslaught of we want to eliminate uh, the break for capital gains. We want to uh -huh. eliminate the lower tax on dividends. We want to eliminate the step up in basis rule. We want to eliminate the $11.7 million lifetime exemption. We want to take it down to 3.5 million. We want, we want, we want, yeah. we want. Well, a typical negotiating tool is to throw out the 15 things that you want in order to settle back on the three things that you really wanted so you can seem highly reasonable and negotiable so this is really just a ploy to get everything out on the table and then something less than that is what we're going to settle upon, I'm highly confident. So, but they're, they're definitely angling for more money. Yeah, yeah, I hear that all the time. Yeah, I think it's uh, Senator Warren that just came out with her thing about uh, the new rich tax. Yeah. Um, and it's it was on... it how, how much do you make, send it in? How much do you make? But it, what it is, it is on other things. It's like, okay, if you have a yacht, you have to have give us 3% every year in yeah. order to have that yacht. If you yeah. have every other home, more than one, three. so it, it's on things that you own. Yep. Because um, it's not fair, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, we've been talking about a lot of things and a lot of great things, but uh, give us seven tips for better investment results. Cause I think that's really what yep. here's money, but I don't know how to do it. And I yeah, don't know. Exactly. What. Uh, the first thing I would say is focus on the long term. Uh, don't hop around, uh, buy broad market exposure and let it sit Buy cheap market exposure, because the difference between an expensive mutual fund and a cheap mutual fund, as long as they're buying stocks is not going to be that dissimilar and normally dissimilar by the amount of the fee. So cheap investment results and let it sit. I would recommend that people always bet that the market is going to rise. The market goes up in 81% of all circumstances. If you're playing that 19%, you're the fool. You're the patsy at the table. If you're the one playing, the likelihood that you can choose that tomorrow is going to be the day that the 19% applies. Yeah, you know what? If you found a slot machine that paid off 81% of the time, you'd hire an armed guard to protect <laughs> it when you went to the bathroom. Yeah. So don't, don't be the guy or gal that plays that 19%. Um, for the same reasons you, that fish should avoid flashy objects, so should you. Uh, we should not go out and buy speculative things and, you know, uh, what my uh, shine person told me about this or that, like what, you know, Mr. Kennedy made famous back in 1929 that he was getting tips from the shine guy. Uh, so uh, learn about taxes. Uh, primarily, we manage for unrealized gain. Man unrealized gain is the gain that you've made in past years that you've never sold because taxes don't apply to increase in market value unless you sell it. Another reason not to hop around from investment to investment, your money compounds a lot better when you sit tight. I would say avoid stock tips 
on stocks trading under $10. Uh, you're not gonna be able to build a quality portfolio of $5 stocks. So I would also encourage people to write down former tips that they wanted to act on and see how they do later. They tend to only notice the ones that they should have gone, bought because they went up so much. Mm -hmm. And then they feel like every tip I get is just my next opportunity. Well, you've also been told about a lot of dogs too. If you want to really have a fair evaluation of what you think you should do or should have done, keep a listing of all that and research the losers just as well as the winners. So those would be my seven tips for better results. Interesting. Now, what do you think about, uh, maybe I'm too old to even know how to, people are always talking about this Dodge coin and Bitcoin and, and all, all these different, you know, there's, there has to be some future, but I, I don't even know I what think, those things I are. Think, I think blockchain technology is a winner for sure. Yeah. The ability to keep irrefutable records over long time periods. And that's a yeah. winner. Real estate transactions, health records. Think about the things you can use that for mm -hmm. uh, creating a currency. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't view something that goes from uh, zero to $5,000 to $1,000 to $10,000 to $1,000 to $63,000 to $55,000 in a relatively short time period. I would not consider that to be a currency. I would <laughs> not consider it to be fungible. Um, it's only money because other people say it's money. Yeah. Uh, and our government has both the, the rationale and the um, ability to squash it. At the point in which Bitcoin becomes worth a million dollars or whatever it becomes worth, and it becomes some type of a re reserve currency, the U.S. government would have every reason to tax it into oblivion, mm -hmm. to regulate it into oblivion. It's just not a significant amount enough amount of money right now to be threatening but mm -hmm. if it were threatening you can expect crushing blows from governments and governments i'm not sure which government in the middle east has already made it illegal to own bitcoin other countries will follow suit so i'm yeah. just simply not a believer sorry it's okay i don't yeah. have any yeah <laughs> uh, before we wrap up something in the recent past is uh intrigued me and uh it's that whole GameStop um how you know it, it was on reddit and it was just like this little blog blurb and GameStop and tell me a little bit about how that happened or here's my second thing is is it okay that that happens because the billionaires of wall street do it all the time anyway <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to say whether I think it's right <laughs> or wrong. I will say that stock manipulation is a prosecutable offense. Uh, when it's done in large scale, it's normally just a couple of people that have colluded, and those people tend to get prosecuted. When you have hundreds of thousands of people that are colluding to do the same thing, and each one has $500 at stake, it becomes uh, less enforceable, and the SEC becomes less inclined to enforce it. So I think it's an interesting phenomena that the Reddit groups are engaging in some of the same behavior that the hedge funds uh, mm -hmm. engage in. The hedge funds get in trouble for it, 
but the Reddit group probably cannot get in trouble for it just because they're so fragmented and each person has so little money at stake. They're not gonna be pursuing somebody for the $300 they made in you know, GameStop, stock, manip- GameStop <laughs> stock manipulation. Uh, and it is manipulation, but uh, I, I think they're gonna get away with it. And, and I'm not so sure that it's necessarily a bad thing in the end, so. Yeah, you know, because the rest of us are like going, well, isn't that what brokers do? You know, they all get to together. Degree, with, to with, some degree, yes. And, and shorting, the people yeah. who short stocks need to be very sophisticated because yeah. they should be aware that their their downside is unlimited. Mm-hmm. And so for your listing of stock is where you borrow it from another owner with the promise to return it in the future. You just hope to do so when the price is a lot cheaper. So if you sell a $60 stock, you want to buy it back at 20 and then just return the same shares and you keep the $40. Well, if the stock goes to zero, the most money you can make is $60, the $60 that you shorted the stock for. If it goes to 200, you can lose three times your original investment. And so you have to buy it back in the open market because ultimately you have to return those shares and the higher the price goes, the riskier it gets. And that's the reason why short sellers cannot afford to let a stock run and they are prone to be manipulated because they all get backed against the wall at the same time. And so it's, it was an interesting recognition that the Reddit group decided to pile in on stocks that were heavily shorted uh, taking, I think GameStop went from five bucks to 300 and something dollars a share. Somebody's going to get hurt in that trade too. Uh, the, you know, the company doesn't become worth multiples of what it was worth yesterday, just simply because some generally amateur investors are buying a bunch of it. Mm-hmm. And driving Very interesting. Prices. Very so, interesting. Um, so how can people find you? Uh, they can go to my website, probably be the best thing. We also write a blog that writes a lot about uh, all these topics that we're talking about, taxes, fees, uh, portfolio efficiency, advocacy, and the like. They can go to segmentwm.com, S-E-G-M-E-N-T-W-M.com for segment wealth management for slash blog. You can sign up for my blog. Uh, we send it out to thousands of people every time we write one and uh, we go on there and poke around on my website and take a look. Fantastic. And don't well, forget to buy my book on Amazon. There you go. It's called foolish. foolish. Don't be That's foolish. Right. That's buy right. his book. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Gil. You bet. And uh, everybody, I hope you enjoy this one. There's a lot of information and a lot of good information. So take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Richer Geek Podcast, where we're helping others find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. For today's show notes, including all the links and resources from our show and more information about our guests, visit us at www.therichergeek.com slash podcast. And don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Share with others who could benefit from listening. And leave a rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. I appreciate you, and thanks for listening.